Hi, this is Seth Mosley, and you're listening to the Full Circle Music Show, the why of the music biz. Today in studio, we have Barry Grohl, guitar player of Mercy Me and veteran industry musician. He's been working in this town for 27 years, so you can imagine he brings with him a lot of experience, wisdom, and insights for anyone wondering how to get a job in the music industry and shares perhaps one of the coolest pieces of advice for a young up-and-coming musician that I've ever heard. In fact, you'll probably be hearing me use it at some point. But before we dive into the interview, just a quick word about the upcoming Music Makers Boot Camp. Are you an aspiring artist, producer, or songwriter? Have you ever wanted to break into the music business but didn't know where to start? Would you be interested in spending a weekend with some of the leaders in the industry? Well, here is your opportunity. It's called the Music Makers Boot Camp, and it's happening January 25th through 28th live in Franklin, Tennessee. It's going to be happening at the legendary Sound Kitchen Studios, where records like Taylor Swift, Paramore, Keith Urban, Bruce Springsteen, and many more have been made. You'll be learning in these rooms where multi-platinum songs have come to life. And we'll be bringing in some of the best and the brightest who are doing it every day to share their wisdom, knowledge, and experience. This is a great opportunity for you to take your music production, songwriting, or artistry skills to the next level. The music industry doesn't have to be some big secret. Me and the other coaches really want to share what we are doing with you. Come and learn it with us. Registration is now open at fullcirclegoeslive.com or you can text the word bootcamp. That's B O O T C A M P one word to 44222 to receive info about it. Again, that's fullcirclegoeslive.com or you can text bootcamp to 44222 to receive info on it. It's limited to only 40 spots, so get yours now. These sell out quick, so don't miss your chance. I'll see you there. So let's head into the studio in Franklin, Tennessee with Barry Grohl. Barry, thanks so much for taking the time to be here today. We're on the Full Circle Music Show here All in right. Franklin, Tennessee. Good so, to be here. Good to be here. Thanks. This is kind of your hometown now, right? It is. It is. I, I would call it the hometown. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it's been here off and on since 88. You know, left and went to Texas in 2004, then came back in 2012. Is that where you're from originally? It's Texas? No, from Baltimore originally. Ah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Bart was from Texas and still is. Yeah. <laughs> so once uh, from you know, Texas. Everybody years ago converged on the little town where he was from, Greenville. And we lived there for a long time. I joined the band in two thousand three, but it made more sense for me to move from Nashville to Texas for the commute and everything, just working yeah. together. You right. Know. Yeah. So you've had a pretty long backstory being in the business about 27 years now. Yeah. So yeah. what was your first kind of foray into it? How did you get your start? Well, I grew up playing in club bands and stuff like that and dance bands. I'm 55. So, you know, I grew up in the 70s playing music and all that. And I got to a place, I was kind of the black sheep of the family, accepted Christ at an early age. But man, I just wanted to be a rock star, you know? Yeah. You couldn't even see the paneling in my room before all the posters. I was I was a crazy <laughs> kid. But, you know, and I came home and I didn't study. I played my guitar yeah. all the time. You know, so being studious, you know, in the school world wasn't my bag. But, yeah. you know, long story short, because I could go forever, it came down to a point where the band I was in was disbanding. And all I had to do was walk in and basically just play one note in another band. And I was right back in the the whole rotating schedule that I was in playing bars and, you know, stuff like that. And the Holy Spirit, man, for whatever reason, said, don't do it. And I didn't do it. And I called him and said, I'm not coming in. Wow. And that led to me finding a Christian band down the road at another church. And we just play cover music. We did some writing and stuff like that. And I have met so many other people on the road who tell me parallel stories to what I'm telling you right now, yeah, I really felt the tug to move to Nashville and do music full time. I didn't know what capacity that would be in. You know, I just know I wanted to play my guitar and allow God to use you know my talents. And so you weren't doing it 
professionally at this time? You just kind of felt like... Well, I mean, we made a lot of money in the yeah. band I was in. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we were making thousands of dollars playing. We were one yeah. of the top dance club bands in Baltimore for a while. So wow. professionally, no, because I always had another job. But in my mind, it was professional. I'm like, you right, know, you're we're playing four or five it. nights a week. It was, I was tired. Yeah, I <laughs> <laughs> And get up and, you know, the, my day job, they would go, hey, is is this your hobby? Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, because they, they knew I was, I was burnt. Yeah. So I played with a Christian band down the road and I just wanted to do it more. And, and so... Another long story short, my wife and I worked with the youth at church, and we went to a conference center, took the kids to a conference center, and Chris Rice was playing there, mm. which that's what he did. I don't know if people know that about Chris, but he was never, ever in Nashville. I think I used to see him once a year because he was always doing camps with wow. kids. And he said, hey, man, why don't you come to Nashville and spend the week with me? And this was before he ever had a record deal. Reunion was beating down his door all the time to trying to get him to sign, and so I went and stayed with him for a week and played football with Will Owsley and Des Dickerson, who yeah. used to play for Prince. And, yeah. you know, I'm like, man, this is crazy. What, what is going on? <laughs> Drove me around town, showed me around town a little bit. And then, um, oh, and leading up to that, I used to go see every band that I could in Baltimore, uh, yeah. traveling bands, the Garmoyne Key, you know, a ton yeah. of them. I yeah. would somehow weasel my way either backstage or just to get to talk to somebody in the band. And every single one of them across the board said, you have to move to Nashville and you have to stay there seven years. Wow. I'm not kidding you. It was as if all of Christian music got together and said, this is what we're <laughs> going to tell everybody. The Lord's number. <laughs> this, is, this is it. Move to Nashville, stay there seven years. I've never heard that. It was that unbelievable. So much I couldn't believe it. And so I went... Well, I guess that's what I have to do. <laughs> and so I came down to Nashville, found a place to stay. It happened to be across the street from my then girlfriend, my now wife's cousins. Yeah. So I knew somebody. And I also knew a friend of Chris Rice's who lived here. I got a job at Opryland Hotel for a year. And after that, I got my first gig with Rick Kua. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was my entrance, and I've been working ever since. How did you get that gig? Because, I mean, you're going from Opryland Hotel to your first... Because I sat next to somebody in church <laughs> who wow. was the guitar player. who played. He was playing for a band called Russia at the time, but he had played for Morgan Cryer. Yeah. And they were getting ready to do a tour. It was the uh, Rock Rhythm and Rap Tour, 1989. Awesome. <laughs> Rick Kua, Morgan Cryer, and Michael Peace, yeah. uh, the hip-hop dude. And so Mark sat next to me and he, you know, we became friends. I used to go hang out with, he lived in a house with Brian Lennox and all these guys were coming over, Chris Rodriguez. And, and wow. I was, I was like hanging out, like just drooling, like, you know, <laughs> I, what am I doing here? You know, yeah. but it was a cool time. And, and so that Mark got me an audition with Rick when they had a utility guy, Eric Scouton. He was going to play keyboards for Morgan Cryer and play guitar for Rick Kua. But the guitar thing didn't work out. And so they were like, well, we need to get another guitar player. And so Brian Lennox made a demo tape for me, two songs, the only one I ever made, and submitted it. And they're like, well, why don't you come audition? So I got the gig. That's that awesome. Was, that was it. That was it. I couldn't believe it, you know. And and, and that was full-time, just touring? Yeah, I mean, you know, when you're a sideman, you're, you know, you bounce from gig to gig sometimes, yeah. unless you land on something that's really busy. And yeah. so we went out and did that tour, and then in, it was, you know, one-offs from there and stuff. And so I would fill in with temp work, actually just driving cars at the auto auction, which, yeah. come to find out, so did a lot of my other musician friends. <laughs> 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 and so, you know... And that was it. And then, you know, went from there to all the other people that I played for. Yeah. And so. So yeah. I know, I mean, DC Talk was <laughs> somewhere in there, Audio Adrenaline, Tate. Yeah. And Mercy Me for the bulk of it, right? Is that Yeah. Yeah. It was all sideman work up until 2003 when Toby was going to make a record and he didn't have a lot of spring shows and said, if you guys can find other work, find other work. And I happened to get a call from Audio Adrenaline saying, hey, we're going to do a tour with Mercy Me. Do you want to, we're going to take an extra guitar player besides Tyler. Yeah. And so I was just like, let me pray about it. Yes. And <laughs> <laughs> it was like 55 cities and, and yeah. you know, and so I found a sub 
to fill in for Toby, but it was at the end of that tour that Mercy Me had asked me to join. Yeah. Um, and I, had, when I was playing for Toby, we had actually done a tour, a festival con Dios with Mercy Me the fall prior to that. And I got to know the guys and love them and, yeah. you know, play golf together in the movies, the, the whole shebang, Yeah. you know, prior to that. And so that was just, you know, being on tour with them in the spring then when I was playing for audio was just, it was like family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Talk about, because you touched on that a little bit earlier, being a sideman. I know a lot of people listening to the show maybe have aspirations of being a singer or a songwriter or an artist. Maybe some of them even have of being a sideman. Can you talk about what is that? What's the difference between that and being the guy at the front of the stage? Well, the sideman is, you know, I always considered in support of the artist that you're playing for. You have the artist, the singer or whatever. They don't play anything. Maybe they do. And then the sideman is the drummer, the guitar player, the bass player that they hire you know, work for hire basically to back them up. And that can change from tour to tour, or sometimes if you're lucky, they keep the same band for a long time. And so I was one of those guys and, you know, you just, you get the call and your schedule allows you to go do it and you learn the songs. And, and that was a big thing. I think just because of my personality and I think I was set for that role a long time ago when I had to learn one or two new songs a week to play in the cover band that I was playing in back in Baltimore. Mm. Man, we at one point we had seven ACDC songs in our set. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we're playing disco Yeah, and, you know, <laughs> funk. So, yeah. man, my vocabulary got pretty wide yeah. for a long time. Even though I, was, I really like the rock, I really, really like R&B and funky stuff too. Yeah. Yeah. So that whole education played into me being a sideman and – you know, learning how to figure out parts and sounds and stuff like that. And really, I mean, it's to be a servant. You're there to back yeah. them up. You're not the limelight, you know, yeah. unless they give you a solo or something, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it, <laughs> but it, you're in the role to support them and their artistry and what they're doing. And so I just always try to go with that mindset. Yeah. So you've never had the aspiration to do your own records. You love wearing that hat. You know, I actually, I always have the aspiration to do my own record. <laughs> I'm not sure what that looks like, but, you know, it's at the end of the day, man, I am blessed to be where I am. And yeah. I don't know what it would look like, but, you know, at one point I want to sit down and do a bluegrass record, then, you know, something else, blues yeah. or something. You know, I love the blues, but yeah, yeah, who knows? <laughs> yeah, because you play... I read somewhere that you play Dobro. Is that kind of a... Well, I'm a Dobro owner. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, actually, I met a guy, Paul Beard, who um, Jerry Douglas plays his Dobros and a lot of other people do. He lives about a half hour from my in-laws. And so I bought a Dobro about seven, eight years ago. And, I, you know, it sits in the corner sometimes for months at a time. Not lately, though. For probably the last year, I've been on it multiple times a week and yeah. sometimes when i get home that's all i play it's such such yeah. an expressive instrument you know yeah. Yeah. and i'll get it out and play it bebo came and did a christmas tour with us and i mike and i backed bebo up so i played a little dobro with him and once in a while i played on our stuff yeah it's on the song all right yeah. you know so the, you know there's there's a couple of times i'll get it out without being too country or right. you know, we'll put some distortion on it or something right <laughs> <laughs> but no I, I love it i mean what's funny is i sent paul the manufacturer of the dobro i sent him a text i said at what point will i actually start playing like jerry douglas <laughs> and he said this is exactly how the text went he goes you do space 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 when he was 13 <laughs> i was like oh sad trombone hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but now nah, nah, i love it it's the finger picks are the, the hardest <laughs> yeah totally but yeah well i'm a producer guitar player which means that i know enough to you know edit the crap out of myself oh and, yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> so that's something that i've never even you know i bought a ganjo i've bought the finger picks and it's just yeah. it's something you have to just do I'm so much over. better with just my fingers. Yeah. When you put picks on, it's like if there's some way they could attach nerve endings. Exactly, to the, <laughs> that's what it is. <laughs> like, what is this foreign object on the end of my fingers, and how do I make it work? But, I think that's your next career move is to create like prosthetic finger prosthetic picks. finger picks. <laughs> but you know, I bought it. I traded in a, a guitar 
I don't know, what is it, about a year and a half ago, which I won't say what guitar it was, but for a pedal steel. Whoo, man, that's a tough instrument. Yeah. 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 And the strings are a lot closer together. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Have you busted it out on any tours yet? No, I did play it on our Christmas record. Not yeah. so well, but somehow it made it in the mix. Enough. Way, way back there. It, got, it was close enough <laughs> close for rock enough. and roll. Brown said, I can tune that. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. You've spent a lot of years now. Has the majority of your career been in the Christian music industry? Yes. Yeah. Because you, you said you I, kind of started doing the club thing in Baltimore, and then once you got your gig with Rick Kua. Yeah, it's been solely. I did a country session one time up in Kentucky. I auditioned for Martina McBride yeah. and didn't get it. Yeah, The guy that had been playing guitar for her for a really, really long time just was calling it quits. Mm. And, man, they went through, I don't know, 20, 25 guitar players. Wow. And her original guitar player ended up coming back. <laughs> so, But they told me I had the best tone. Okay. So, all right, good deal. Yeah, yeah it was go. rough. That, that's the only audition I never got. But yeah. it was... It was a rough time learning those songs. I was on the road. When I got home, I had like one day. Yeah. And it was like six songs. So wow. I knew going into it, this wasn't going to be good. Yeah. <laughs> but So I imagine that's being a sideman or really kind of modern musician, you've got to be able to learn and retain songs really quickly. Do you yeah. have kind of a technique that you've used for that? Do you use the Nashville number system? Or have you just been kind of like... You know, I find out when I read that I'm stuck reading. Hmm. That doesn't embed the song into my brain as much as sitting there learning it just from memory and repetition. Wow. Yeah. If I start to read something and I'm, then I'll be like, oh, where's that chart again? Yeah. You know? And so I steer away from charts. Yeah. <laughs> you know, except I went out and did a weekend with the waiting one time and I read charts the whole time and I couldn't stand it. <laughs> <laughs> Was that because just having to learn the song super fast? Or? Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, you're stuck staring yeah. down at the floor or whatever it was. And I, I just not the way I like to play. Yeah. I'm, I'm an emotional player and, you yeah. know, I like to really feel the whole thing. And right. I, I just, I don't do that reading charts. Really great session players probably do both, but sure, that's not me. No, that's no. good to know. But yeah. back to the Christian music question, I'm sure that being in it and around it, I mean, you have a pretty good awareness of what it is and why it exists. Can you speak to that a little bit? Just was it a decision that you made, like, I'm going to be in the Christian music industry? And, and that's just... Well, it, I mean, that just stems from where I was in, in my spiritual life, coming out of playing clubs and stuff. And... Well, I mean, when I first heard of Christian music, the first band I heard was Undercover. It was like a punk band or something mm. like that. And so I had no awareness, really, of Christian music, you know, back in the 70s. It was nothing like it is now. Yeah. And so I started to learn about it. And to me, it was full-on 100% ministry. Mm. I saw music as a vehicle to meet people's needs, you know, for Christ to speak to people in different ways. And, yeah. and I wanted to be a part of that. And I can't say why I did it really. I just did it, yeah. you know, and God opened doors Yeah, and I, and I walked through them. Yeah. Yeah. I kicked them open. <laughs> <laughs> if he, you know, if he didn't want me to do something, he slammed the door. So, yeah. 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 There's a reason I didn't get the Martina McBride gig. Right. And well, that's, I, that's I was what like, I was going to say. No big deal. Yeah. yeah. It's country anyway. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> joking. <laughs> well, talk. I mean, talk about that because, I mean, that had to be, I don't know. I imagine that was kind of difficult in the moment. But did you have anything you kind of learned from that, like not getting the gig? More preparation time. Mm -hmm. I didn't have the prep time that I should have. Yeah. I was on the road in a horrible situation trying to learn songs and that's not the way I like to do it. Yeah. So, yeah. In hindsight, I probably should have just went, you know, I don't have the time or can I audition sometime else? Mm. Yeah. Gotcha. Push me back a few days or something, but I went and did it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so just buckle down and focus and buckle down, focus. Yeah. Get the tones, right. Everything parts. Yeah. She's a stickler on parts. Wow. Which yeah. I am too. Yeah. When I find a part, I dig in and love it. To yeah. the point where it's boring, but that's, I get behind it because it's energy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Instead of just noodling around. And it's or... the foundation for a singer. 
for they get used to hearing certain things, whether those things are on their records or things that you figure out in a rehearsal. Mm. They want those things played the same every night. Yeah. Most of the artists that I play for, like that's their key to sing a certain phrase or you know what mm. I mean? It's just yeah. they made the record for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like that for a reason. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's just be a servant and play it right, you yeah. know? That's a great question, too, because I can imagine that that's changed a little bit over the years in terms of, okay, what are you going to play on the record versus what are you going to play live? It's definitely changed in the band scenario now that I'm in Mercy Me. Yeah. Now, I try to pull the parts as much as I can, but, you know, the way the layering happens nowadays, sometimes what depending on the song, it sounds almost like a pad. Mm -hmm. This, So we have to either make up a part because we can't really hear the parts and remember the parts that we played on the record. Right. Or, you know, the parts that we can decipher, pick the best one that works live, you know, that's a constant, you know, a, just a really great part from beginning to end maybe. Yeah. Or, you know, the best ones in certain sections and uh, that support the song in the best way. So yeah. that that's the way we go about it nowadays. Just and that's just the progression of music. Sure. You know. And yeah. so where do you guys kind of fall in the spectrum of, you know, trying to pull stuff off live versus using tracks and or is it kind of a both? And no, no, we use tracks. We don't I mean, we'll add if there's like really cool like synth sounds or even tiny little guitar parts that we think should be there. And that might just be like a tone or something, right. you know, really cool tones or squeals squeaks yeah. whatever <laughs> yeah. yeah you know that if we're both playing parts you know we can't reproduce that so we'll put little stuff like that on tracks just to fill out that spectrum yeah, yeah. gotcha yeah. i know a lot of people are kind of they've probably gotten over it by now but you know i don't want to use tracks it just doesn't feel real and you know <laughs> you know i'm definitely that guy <laughs> you know I mean, sometimes I don't even have the tracks loud enough, but then when I hear it, I'm like, where did that part come from? <laughs> <laughs> Who made that call? <laughs> exactly. No, I, but I, it's it's important. And, you know, we'll run some BGVs too, just to, yeah. to mix in a little bit, just to make it sound a little thicker. But sure. I, mean, I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. Millie Vanilli, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> People are going, Who? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All tracks, right? All tracks. Yeah. Crazy. So, Talk about creative process now. What are you feeding your creative engine with? What's driving you? Are you listening to stuff that's pumping you up or Dobro? Dobro, oh, lots yeah. of Dobro. <laughs> no, man, I I try to stay current. You know, I, I listen to a lot of things. Um, the streaming now is incredible. So yeah. um, Spotify, you know, they have those categories where it's like all new stuff and just yeah. you know some of it's great, some of it's not so great. I really like Alabama shakes these days. Yeah, man. Yeah. That's just cool stuff. Yeah. So anything funky for me these days, I'm not so much into heavy rock anymore. Mm. Like I used to be. I have moments of it, you yeah. know, I still respect the, yeah. where it came from and, yeah. you know, but some of the pop on the radio now, I can't, I don't relate. Mm. I just don't relate, man. It's a flash in the pan. Some of it. And yeah, you know, here today, gone tomorrow, but that's music. Yeah. But, I think smart business people and musicians draw from that what mm. they can and, you know, respect it somewhat, you know, and yeah. then the creative side of it. I mean, there's always something, whether it's the beat. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I'm a big groove guy. Yeah. You know, it's got a groove. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm like, ooh, that's cool groove. The rest of the song's terrible. But <laughs> man, <laughs> whoever came up with that was money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, sometimes that's, I mean, yeah, you can totally derive inspiration from anything in a song. So, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So just, yeah, keep the ears open. Yeah. Definitely. So is your next single going to be like 808s and, you know, uh, Sub yes. Drops? Yes, my solo record. Your solo be. record, Dobro and 808s. Dobro and 808. That's actually kind of cool. Pretty cool. <laughs> go home and work on that. Thanks. <laughs> um, from my perspective, I don't know if it's still this way or not, but me getting to know, you know, you guys from more the inside of the industry, you guys have a, an interesting creative process or at least did at one point. I don't know how you're making records now, but you would kind of go in and just make these incredible epic tracks of music even before the top line was written, like before the melody and the lyrics came together. That's kind of similar to the way we do it now still. Yeah. yeah. It's a different animal now a little bit because 
the producers are so involved at this point. And so it's, sure. it's more people in the room kind of doing the same thing. Sure. We get a track and, and just go to town on it. And because it needs to be inspiring yeah. for Bart to sing over. And so to get him inspired to write to it, you know, the lyrics and melody. Yeah. So yeah, coming up with a great piece of music for him to do that. And I'd always heard that's the way Michael W. Smith did it. I don't know if that was, yeah. You know, I think they would go in and do yeah. tracks and then he and Wayne Kirkpatrick would just sit down and do lyrics. Is that true? I as think. As far as I know, yeah, because Michael is an amazingly brilliant instrumental arranger. Exactly. And and so come up with a great piece of music exactly. and then that's that's going to drive your emotions and your the creativity to come up with great. Because everything, this day and age with Pro Tools and all that, you can rework the track to make it. Right. Make it fit. You know what I mean? Yeah. So sometimes you have to come in the back door and go, okay, this pre-chorus doesn't work or shorten the pre-chorus or we need one here, shorten yeah. the bridge, all that, you know, can be chopped up however. So to get the vibe right, to get the inspiration going, that's key right there. Yeah. yeah. I just thought it was so interesting because I guess you wouldn't even, weren't in the room on this, but I came in into a session with Brown and Makala on a couple of y'all's records ago and you guys had these finished tracks that, you know, read ship and had tracked and pretty much mixed and everything was yeah. just like, wow, this is a record. Like I could just listen to this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was so funny to me because I had never seen it done like that. Like, like Dan or Brown would cycle through the song titles and it was like foo black <laughs> or like Phil leopard or something like a combination of like foo fighters and black sabbath if or there's, something yes like that. exactly right if there's something that sounds like it and you know the second then we'll attach you know yeah half a name to it <laughs> whatever I, th I just thought that was, it was awesome. just we had to have that so that we could identify yeah. the songs you know it's like oh yeah 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 that's Foo Sabbath. <laughs> Man, I actually have some on my phone. I should read through a list. It is hilarious. <laughs> but. I just thought that was awesome, though, because it was like to get to the end result, there's a million different ways of getting the same place. You yeah. know, a lot of guys in Nashville will sit down with an acoustic guitar, and yeah. that's the old school way of writing songs. Like, if it sounds good on an acoustic, then it's a great song or whatever. Which is also but, true. There's no formula. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And from my perspective, there's no formula because we've done it. You know, so many different ways. Bart's penned, you know, a handful of songs just on his own at yeah. the piano. Yeah. You know, and he's not necessarily a an incredible piano player. Sure. Just Bart, myself, and Mike sitting around with acoustics. We've come up with, you know, some cool stuff. Or me and Bart and an acoustic and yeah. you know, or Mike and Bart and an acoustic. It is it's different yeah. every time. You know, maybe Bart just has a lyric and a melody and then we put the music behind it. Yeah. So it's you know, setting too for us was a big deal when the budget was there. <laughs> setting, but the, the setting as in studio where yeah, we were working. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. man, the the most incredible studio time was when we went to um, upstate New York, mm. a place called Alaire, and it was it was right next to heaven. Wow. And it was in the fall. <laughs> it, we start. It was like October, and the leaves were starting to change. And so you live there, you eat there. You know, they have accommodations. Yeah. You just walk down, get breakfast, and right into the studio. Yeah. Our phones hardly worked. They had to go outside and hang on to the corner of the building to get yeah. them to work. And man, that was an incredible experience. I think we were up there for like three weeks. Wow. But for a four or five records, we went out of town and did that. Mm. It got away Idaho, El Paso. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if the money's there, that's a great way to do it. And that was even, was that kind of tracking stuff, like just making these big music beds for Bart to write to? Right. What we would do, or, or some of the stuff may have been half written at that point. Yeah. We, Ever since I joined the band, there was a youth building in Greenville, Texas that we would go into and we would say, okay, we're going to write for the record. And anybody that had ideas would bring their ideas. We would set up in the youth building. We would set up a multi-track so that we could just bounce down to you know stereo to have yeah. what we needed we weren't saving any of these tracks i don't know if we ever did yeah. but we would for two or three days just hammer out 25 musical ideas yeah. and then we would listen to those figure out which ones were best bart would listen to them ride around in the car hey i've got an idea for this one yeah. hey i think this is really cool this one crap we need to throw that away it doesn't yeah. not going to work on this yeah. sounds like two records ago and so then 
we would take those, we would have a pre-production meeting with whoever the producer was. Normally at that time it was like Brown yeah. or early on Pete Kipley. Yeah. And then we would say, you know, these are great. Let's focus on these 12 or 14 or 10 or eight, go in the studio and see what happens. And by that time, Bart sometimes would have maybe half the lyrics written for some of them. Not at all, maybe for some of them. And then we would go in and normally in the studio, because it sounds so incredible when you're in there, you end up writing a couple more. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or more than that, Just you know, three, four, right? five. Yeah, it sounds so good. You know, when you put an incredible compressor on a really nice old Gibson acoustic, you can sit there and play all day and like, oh, wait, I have... 80 more ideas yeah (laughs) (laughs) wait you know it's just that way in the studio and so we always always came up with stuff in the studio yeah finally home we were stuck we had a song together that was sort of sounded like jet and sort of sounded like lenny kravitz we called it jet lenny (laughs) there's one of those wonderful titles (laughs) i love that yeah jet lenny and uh it was a rock song we got stuck on it i mean we literally like we we're like, ah. and at the end of the day, it just, it's not us, you know, at that point in our career, it wasn't us. And this is when we were in Idaho and we got stuck and everybody's like, let's take a break. We'd been working on it and everybody's beat down. And Mike and I just, we never quit playing. So we were out in the studio noodling and we just started coming up with the music for Finally Home. Mm. And Bart had already had the idea for Finally Home in his mind, which actually we were riding in the car one time. He's like, man, I got this great idea about, you know, my father's perspective, you know, in heaven. He didn't get to see, because my father died so early, he didn't get to see all Bart's accomplishments and his, you know, his kids and, you know, all that stuff and great marriage. And so I literally, that song was written in about 20 minutes. Wow. I think he had most of the lyric in the vocal booth. And man, we were all in tears. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, and we're like, and it's kind of sounding country, you know, I'm over there playing some fake slide, my yeah. mic's hammering out the chords and, and, you know, the train kind of drum yeah. vibe. And, and we're like, you think it should go on the record? And Brown's like, well, of course. He comes with a talk back. Of course, you made a grown man cry. <laughs> <laughs> of course, it's going on the record, you know, and it became a single and, and it's an awesome song, you know. And so that's one of those times in the studio that, man, the Holy Spirit really showed up. Wow. Like... We're stuck. We're like, you're not, God's going, you're not a rock band. This is what I want you to say, you know? Yeah. He showed up. It was incredible. Because that went from Jet Lenny to Jet Lenny to this. Which that was like a, it could have been like Foo Fighters too, but it was like a, you know, like a, you know, like yeah. just European kind of a thing too. And, yeah. And which I love Jet too, but yeah. But I'm glad it, you know, ended up being the ended other up, thing, right? Yeah, <laughs> being finally home. You might have had grown men crying yeah. for, for other reasons. Than... <laughs> yeah. Please don't play that rock music anymore. <laughs> That's awesome. So kind of back to you being around this industry for 27 years, has your role had to change? Like, have you had to learn new skill sets or ways of doing things to adapt? No, not really. I mean, I mean, the adapt part comes with technology, I believe. So I guess the answer would be yes. Yeah. Yeah. The recording process easier now sometimes mm-hmm. uh, just because of Pro Tools and all that. You know, I mean, I remember I was in a band with a bass player named Jim Lee Slows for a while. Yeah. And I was actually singing, but we weren't singing in the Pro Tools, we're singing in the ADATs. Right. And so, man, that is work. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There's there's no cut paste. Yeah. (laughs) You know? What was that band? Would I know that band? Uh, We were called Hullabaloo. Yeah. We were just trying to get mainstream deals, so we showcased in New York and L.A. It didn't work out, but that's okay. (laughs) Um, But we played around town a little bit. It was fun. That's awesome. What was the question? No, I just... (laughs) (laughs) I'm like Mick Jagger. I I don't really remember titles. (laughs) I I don't remember the last thing I said. (laughs) No, just, I mean, you kind of were talking about adapting a little bit. Yeah, just technology. And that was my point. Yeah, just, you know, the way technology has gone into the easiness of recording and just even just being a guitar player, the tools that we have now. And man, if I would have had the tools back then that I have now to be able to learn songs, to be able to slow a song down and have it retain the key that it's in 
to learn guitar licks or parts. Oh my goodness. Wow. I used to put quarters, a stack of quarters on my LP records and slow them down so I could learn Van Halen licks. <laughs> it's the only way I knew how to do it. That's amazing. My brain didn't didn't work fast enough. So I mean it's like slow it down, you know. That's hilarious. <laughs> Eruption. Do, 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 you know. Wow. Yeah. I mean I had to do it. There was no other way. Yeah, and that and wasn't, that, and and that wouldn't even been close to the right key either, right? No. So everything. <laughs> so I'm having that. Yeah, just for all that. And then I got this cassette thing that you could slow it down, but it wasn't the same key. Right. It would just slow the lick down. Like ah, oh, that was. But now, my goodness, on you know, my I can do that stuff on my phone. So what are you? What are you? Do, like th- that's actually. <clears throat> kind of crazy what do you use for that now is there an app that you uh actually the, uh amadeus amadeus yeah amadeus is it it's really cool man you can you can do all that so slow you just, it down you just throw an mp3 in it yeah throw an mp3 slow it down you know that's pretty awesome keeps the same key it starts to sound a little funky if you get too you know it yeah. starts to get a little phasey and stuff but but uh yeah man it's it's incredible all in your iphone well, no, that's actually on my computer. Okay, but, gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. but still, pretty amazing. Pretty right? amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, have you? I know a lot of guitar players now. I don't know how much studio session work you're doing nowadays, but a lot of guys will have you know their own Pro Tools studio at home, cut tracks, send back and forth to producers, and do that kind of thing. Yeah. Has that been something that you've gotten into, or not? Not as not, much. Not really. Um, I have a studio at the house, but. I actually use Digital Performer. Yeah. I have Pro Tools, and I, I used it for a while. I need to upgrade my computer these days. That's where I am right now. But, yeah. man, just for songwriting and stuff, Digital Performer is great for me just sitting at home. So I, I have not gotten into the bounce back and forth. I'd yeah. love to. Yeah. But I just I need to upgrade some stuff. But that's where I am and yeah, yeah right now. But I haven't done a lot of sessions since I've been back. I think I've just a handful. Yeah. But it's a whole new, you know, since I've been gone eight years, it's a whole new crop of players and they're so much better than I am. So just just let them go. <laughs> well, I mean a lot of times it doesn't it's not even a better or worse thing. It's just yeah. they've been they've done their 7 years, right? Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. That's still amazing. I me. had to start over. Yeah. I'm at year 4. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so 3 years from now. 3 Honey, yeah. I'll be doing it again. <laughs> I'm going to make it. That's amazing. I I want to kind of talk about that a little bit. What do you think they meant by that after having been in it for 27 years? That Was there any significance in truth in what they said in terms of move to Nashville, number one, right. for just being here, <clears throat> and number two, the seven-year thing? What, what well, do you Na- think they meant by that? I mean, that? Nashville is the, the Christian music hub. Yeah. I mean, there was definitely a good part of it years ago that was out in California. There may still be. I'm not really sure. But this is where all the record companies are, the management, booking agents, all the musicians and you know, most of the musicians, most of the artists, you know, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of artists, I guess, in bands that live out of town now, you know, Atlanta's a big place for a lot of people, Texas, but by and large, this was the hub of Christian music and I guess still is. And so, you know, just to be here with all the networking and everything. And I mean, just, well, like, I mean, my first gig came from me sitting next to somebody in church. So it's very relational. You know, I mean, a demo tape for what, you know, I mean, I don't even know if people do that anymore. Yeah, (laughs) I I don't, I don't know. It's word of mouth. It's, it's somebody else going, yeah, he's awesome. Mm. And, you know, he can play, he can sing, you know, great guy, good hang, good hang on the road. I think a lot of people fear that word, that networking thing, because it sounds kind of slimy or like... Well, and I'm not Mr. Network. I mean, I know people that'll call people just, hey, just checking in. I'm not a check-in guy. If I happen to see you, I happen to see you. I'm I'm not proactive in that. I don't know. There's something weird about that for me. So for For other people, it works. That's great. I have no judgment against them at all. It's how they want to work. That's that's killer. My wife was always, she's always through the years, you know, get out and pound the pavement. You know, you should get out and early on take your demo tapes just drop it off some record companies i'm like what (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) they don't care she doesn't know (laughs) i love you honey if you listen to this but you know no it's i'd never saw it working that way and i never heard anybody tell me it worked that way so 
but it's Nashville. This is where everything is. And so, yeah. And the whole seven years, I don't know why they said that to me, that was just a perseverance thing, but I'm pretty sure it took seven years till I got to the point where I was seeing some regular money come in, Mm -hmm. you know, and making a living at it and establishing myself. I'd started to do sessions. I was doing a lot of sessions before I moved to Texas. And so, yeah, it's probably seven years, whatever city you move to, to become part of society and the, I don't know, the whole, if you move to Seattle, you're going to become part of the Seattle scene or San Diego scene or wherever you move to Columbus, (laughs) Baltimore. I don't know, but you know, they were specifically meaning music. And so, yeah, seven years. So I, I'm like, and I worked with people at Opryland that, you know, they're like, well, I've been here a year and a half. I'm going back home. Mm. You know, I, I was like, you got to give it a chance. Right. You know, they told me seven years. Yeah. <laughs> Which that's amazing though, for somebody to say that. That's like the greatest piece of advice ever is like, just have realistic expectations. It, yeah. It's perseverance. And I think that if you, you stick it out and, and another thing that, they used to tell me is that there's room for everybody. Mm. Yeah. There's room, there's room for everybody. You can find something to do. Yeah. If you have some sort of talent about you, Mm. you know, I guess some people don't. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully you figure that out before seven years. I want to just jump through some kind of random rapid fire questions. Okay. If you're ready for that. All right. First thing is your craziest memory touring. Craziest memory. Funniest, craziest, embarrassing, anything uh, that comes to mind. It probably happened to the keyboard player. <laughs> when we used to drop this in one of our tours, the whole intro of the night started with a scrim coming down and for the and we were all behind, we were all backlit. Mm-hmm. And so everybody saw our silhouettes on the sheet out front. Man, <laughs> this top of the song, he went to hit his keyboard and his whole rig hit the floor. And so you're seeing all this from the front and immediately I started playing the intro on guitar when he he actually started, was starting it on keyboard or whatever. And (laughs) oh, so all you just, all you saw from the front, because we have this on, on film. So all you saw from the front, all these crew guys running over like little flies, like get on it and get his keyboard. That was pretty funny. Like in front of a whole arena full of people. Did you even realize it when it had happened? I saw it happen because we're all standing backstage. We can see each other, and we're like, oh. And there I was away. like, play. <laughs> <laughs> what is life? That's amazing. Was, oh, man, it was good. It was really good. <laughs> you may have already answered this question with the New York thing, but I was going to say your favorite moment working on a record. That was it, Alaire Studios, which they closed for a while, and then they, I think they reopened. I can't explain this place to you. It was a summer home for somebody who owned Pittsburgh paint and glass or something that that sticks in my mind. It's on the top of this hill. David Bowie liked it so much up there that he actually bought 10 acres of property on the way up. There's a real windy road to get to the top. Tim McGraw recorded there a couple times. Nora Jones. What's uh, the studio called? Alaire. Alaire studio. It's money. And there are two studios. There's one really big studio and then there's another studio it's a b studio but it's uh, they're not a lot of iso rooms yeah but the one we're in was just a cavernous like chapel looking thing with a huge fireplace at the end and oh it was it was so great wow yeah it's you know beautiful time of year and so that was the most amazing experience probably because that was the first time that we went out of town to do that to Mm. to record to live and you know all accommodations eat sleep and work in the same place yeah. And so that was this, you know, first, it's a first little one. bit sad. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've only been in Nashville for eight years, I guess, just getting over the seven year mark or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right now. How are you doing with that? Well, <laughs> that's actually a pretty good piece of advice. I, I don't think it took me seven years to start making a living at it, but you feel a little more comfortable, at least in your own skin after about seven years. Yeah. yeah. Just, you know who you are. You kind of found your lane a little bit and. I bet if you look in some in the record company bylaws, there's something tucked in there. It says, <laughs> it says yeah. artist signed contracts tell everyone else seven years. Yeah, <laughs> right. it probably is. <laughs> okay, Desert Island Guitar. Oh, man. Uh, Les Paul. Any particular one? I have a 77. That, it was my first Les Paul. Yeah. 
right, for the guitar players out there, here's a Les Paul story. Yeah. So this was before eBay. There was a paper years ago in Nashville that was called the Trader's Post. And it was page after page of, you know, here's amps and here's columns of amps for sale. Guitars, columns of guitars for sale. Well, this guy, he was just a businessman. Three Les Pauls, all 70s. There was a 77 Pro, which is kind of like a deluxe that I have. There was a 78 Deluxe and a 78 Custom. Any one of them for $500. <laughs> and I only Not bought one. <laughs> I only bought one. I could have had three Les Pauls for $1,500. That's all, amazing. All 70s vintage guitars. With, you know, I bought the one because I just wanted a Les Paul. I have a 78 SG that I actually bought when I was a kid in oh, 78. Wow. It was three hundred bucks, <laughs> and uh, what and that been, thing be I bought it now? used at a music store in Baltimore, and I still have that guitar today. Wow. I routed it out to put a Floyd Rose in it when yeah. you know when the, the whole '80s thing came around because yeah. I had to dive bomb, yeah, and squeal. <laughs> <laughs> but I filled that back in, yeah, and I made this metal plate to go over top the whole thing because you can't stain it anymore when you do yeah. that. Yeah. So, but yeah, man, I I love that guitar. I still play it. I take it out on the road every day. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, Desert Island guitar pedal. Mm. Timeline. Strymon timeline. Mm. Love the delays in that. Yeah. Yeah. It's Interesting. Just, you know, if I'm if I'm gonna be on a desert island, I, I want some. I don't want dry guitar all the time. I'm gonna have yeah. to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to create some kind of atmosphere. Because you can kind of <laughs> you can a little grit out of that thing. You can, right? man. You just start dialing in the. Yeah. You got all the parameters. Oh, it's good stuff. Yeah. yeah. Desert Island guitar amp. Ooh. Marshall stack. Because maybe somebody's going to have to want to hear me. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not bringing your little Princeton. It can clean, it'll get clean and it'll get dirty. So it, I'll take that. Yeah. Yeah. Which Marshall? Any particular one? Uh, I'll take my, I have a 78. I'll take my old 78. That'd be good. Yeah. yeah. Solid. Yeah. Last rapid fire question. Best piece of advice someone somewhere in the music business gave you? That's going to have to be move to Nashville and stay seven years. Yeah. 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 Because I did that and I was not going home. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I heeded the call and did exactly what they said. Mm. You know, it's good. So, yeah. That's good. Well, as we're kind of wrapping up, I want to rewind just. 27 years ago, just picture you're standing face-to-face -face with the younger you about to come into this music business. What does that conversation look like? Man, it, it, would be, it would be a servant because of what I wanted to do. I'm pretty sure I wanted to be a sideman because I used to talk to all those people out on the road anyway. Mm. I was like, I can do that. I can go be a guitar player for somebody and, you know, and it would be, I think the most important thing where I, I would tell myself, don't give up. Mm. Yeah. Don't give up. There's room for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I think a lot of us, I mean, that's so simple, but I can probably imagine over the last almost three decades, there was probably a lot of times you thought about giving up. Yeah. You know, and man, you it's just, have, it's a constant conversation with God too, because you have to rely on him. Yeah. You know, if you're not relying on him, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, yeah. especially moving into this industry. And so, yeah, I needed the comfort of that he had my back and he was forging the way. Yeah. This was a weird thing one time. My wife and I took our youth camping. And my wife was sitting around the fire one night. And she was actually having a conversation with God and just, just saying, and she told me this the next morning. She said, I was actually talking to God and I asked God, do you really think that, do you really think that Barry's going to make it in the music? And she said, the fire went <laughs> and died back down. Wow. True story. That's, That's amazing. what she said. So, you know, that was confirmation for her, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So, well, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of times that I pray and I wish I would get that kind of <laughs> confirmation. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes God, I think God just knows when we need it, you know? Yeah. So he obviously gave that to her. Yeah, in that absolutely. Moment. Yeah. And she wasn't even my wife at the time. So yeah. it was just, you yeah. know, but 
we are definitely thinking about it. Yeah. And yeah. you're standing on the other side of the fire with like a gas can <laughs> dump. <laughs> Me and God, we work together. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> kind of last question. Do you ever feel like there will be a point in your life or in a music career where you'll be like, okay, I've accomplished everything I want to accomplish? Like, or is, do you feel like it's just an always expanding list of goals? Like, I, I yes, know. I think it's the latter. Man, if you ask my wife, she years, not anymore, but man, she used to get so frustrated with me. She's like, you're never satisfied. Mm. You're never happy. You know, what more could you do? I like, there's so much more. I really don't know what that is, Yeah, yeah. but, but there is, there's so much yeah. more. So I, as musician is you're always evolving. Technology is evolving. Music is evolving. You as a person, your surroundings, just, you know, how you deal with music day to day and writing, you know, I mean, you always think that that next thing is going to be right around the corner, mm. you know? And I do think about doing records myself. I'm like, man, I could make one in my studio really yeah. easily. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't do it. But I think about it a lot. I think about writing the next big hit for Mercy Me or us as a band doing amazing things. You know, I mean, the doors open for us all the time for different reasons. And, you know, just as they do for a lot of other artists, you know. Yeah. We did a USO tour years ago just to be with the military mm. and try to give back and minister there. And that was incredible. Yeah. You know, my dad was military. So to be able to do that. Mm. So a lot of different things. Yeah. So, so it doesn't have anything to do with like being the first band on Mars or anything like that. <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> Man, I'm going to take a long time to get there. I do wonder. I, I have There's your desert Island. That. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, who's going to be the first show on Mars? Sure show on Mar it's going to be us. Yeah. It's going to be us. Yeah. Go, there's so many goals you can make up in your mind. It's, I mean, and for me, sometimes it's just tiny little things. So yeah. just, you know, get a new guitar, yeah. <laughs> you know, something that's going to, and you get it and you're like, oh man, this, you know, how many pedals have you bought that just, you're like, oh, I got to put that on a record immediately. Right. <laughs> you, know, you know? Yeah. And because it, it just opens up a whole new world for you. And so tiny little steps and, and milestones. Yeah. yeah. I think they will just, they will haunt me till I die. Mm. You know, I don't know. I don't know. What's the end game? It's a good thing and a bad thing. The end I game guess. is heaven, but, you know, are we going to, will I ever be satisfied? Man, that's, that's a terrible question. Seth. <laughs> <laughs> it that's really terrible. is, man. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I'm satisfied as a husband and, you know, son. Yeah. So it's good, man. Yeah. Well, Barry, thanks so much for taking the time to oh. stop by today. Thank you, man. Stories inspiring. It's been a blast. The seven years thing is, I'm probably going to turn around and use that for somebody else that comes up to me. It's like, hey, how do I get in the music business? Well, move to Nashville and yeah. stay seven years. That's so, it's so concrete and so true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, just, you got to dig in. Yeah. yeah. But thanks a ton, man. Appreciate oh, man, it. Man, absolutely. Thank you. Hi, this is Seth Mosley, and you've been listening to the Full Circle Music Show, the why of the music biz. Shows produced by the Full Circle Music Company with editing help from Jericho, Scroggins, and Kaylee Ingram. Head over to iTunes, leave us a good rating and a good review. That helps us a ton. And make sure to save your spot. There's only 40 spots for the upcoming Music Makers Boot Camp. That's January 25th through the 28th, right here in Franklin, Tennessee, at the legendary Sound Kitchen Studios. There's only 40 spots, so get registered at fullcirclegoeslive.com. Or you can text bootcamp to the numbers 44222 and we'll send you info about it. We'll see you next week.